1: Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season 1 of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the KOBU, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. In this episode, I talk to Dave Pattison, who has just published a graphic novel called The Cult, A True Story which chronicles his time in Kobu. He talks to me about what led him into Kobu, how he got out, and of course, the similarities that we've heard from so many other ex-cult members about the questioning he did of himself while in the group and, of course, after the group. He also talks about how the idea for his graphic novel, The Cult, came about and what he hopes to do with it. He has some great suggestions for people who are trying to get out of an oppressive group And in this two-part interview, he really goes deep on how Stewart manipulated him and others and how he's made peace with that today. Here's part two of two of my interview with author and ex-Cobu member Dave Patterson. What was the catalyst for you then? Were you caught up in a public humiliation? Did you just finally see him for what he was? Was it something else?
2: No, it took me a long time to see him for what he was. Um... (laughs) Um, what happened is that they didn't like for us to go visit our families Mm -hmm. and my dad had always stuck with me and always tried to, um, he even came to a big meeting and, um, and it was around Christmas time. And I, I, I also had great respect for my grandparents and I really wanted to visit my grandparents. And so I went down to visit them. And while there, I tried to um, save uh, my niece, uh, and my sister became (laughs) enraged with me. She certainly didn't want her her daughter going into a cult with me.
1: (laughs) You can't spread Uh, that throughout the family, yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah. But her husband, my brother-in-law, was... um, very much into Buddhism, and so we got to talking. And I was talking to him about um, Jesus and Christianity, and he started talking to me about Buddhism. And somehow, you know, my the way I used to be kind of came back. I, I became more open and more willing to listen to other viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And the more he talked about Buddhism, I, the more I had, to, I started nodding my head. And I said, yeah, well, that makes sense. And yeah, you can't be a Christian and a Buddhist, you know, because Buddhism is a practice. And so, you know, after talking to him, I couldn't argue with him. And it made too much sense to me, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So when I went back to the cult, I told, I said, you know, um, we should really look into Buddhism. And oh, my oh, God. How'd that go over? Oh, my God. Like a Led Zeppelin. I mean, <laughs> they, they <We> should really <laughs> look
1: into Buddhism. I could just imagine it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they pulled out their Bibles like like they were guns, like they were defending themselves. <laughs> and they turned straight to Jeremiah, you know, about false. You know, you shall not worship false idols. False idols. And, yeah. Yeah. And bail and all of that. And just hammering me with this stuff, you know, and uh, and suddenly I became a pariah. Everyone was afraid to talk to me. No one talked to me. You know, yeah. Uh, On Sundays, when they would go to their meetings, they didn't go to church. They went to meetings. Uh, And when they went to one of their meetings, um, they would just leave me. You know, they wouldn't even ask me to come. They didn't want me around. So no one
1: was asking you to go, but they were just icing you out.
2: They were icing me out, isolating me. Mm-hmm. And I still believed that they were the church and that, you know, they were the church I was born into, you know, spiritually and whether, I you know, I got along with them or not, you know, I had to work with them. And so I wanted to somehow, um, I don't know, I wanted to somehow um, bring together the Buddhism and the Christianity, you know, and I was really naive at the at the time because of my situation thinking that i could do that and were you and, about 20
1: uh, years old at this point
2: yeah, yeah. Mm, i was about 20. Uh, but the buddhism really uh it made sense to me and it actually gave me peace that i didn't have before from from being in the group because uh, uh, you know initially i had peace from being with the brothers and sisters but after being exposed to Stuart for so long um the peace was gone and right it was all legalism and a competition to see who was, who was more zealous, which just, you know, made me miserable. Stuart had his henchman, his inner circle, and uh, that was Jimmy. He sent Jimmy down to deal with me, and Jimmy had come down, and he Jimmy wouldn't talk to me. He would just stare at me and call me a ghost. And <laughs> What was that all apparently about? Apparently, I was a ghost because I'd i was not i would backslid in or something which she had assumed that i had backslidden um, but i was a ghost okay and, uh, so i would go to the bathroom or like i remember once getting up at night going to the bathroom jimmy's on the couch and me looking at jimmy jimmy looking at me me shrugging my shoulders like you know what you're looking at it was one of those things where you know you have to say something mm-hmm. And then he's, he's just launches into how defiant I am and how proud I am. And, and like, did you see that rebellion in him? Like, I have this spirit of rebellion all of a sudden. And at that point, I really I still didn't want to leave. I still wanted to make it work.
1: While but you were there, I, did you have any relationships where you felt like you could tell anyone your doubts or were you keeping most of that
2: to yourself? The funny thing is, is that I, I didn't. Somehow something in me didn't doubt the church. Okay. Somehow I felt that the church was, was the right church. And I, my problem was I, I really didn't question it. What I did question was how I could marry Buddhism and Christianity and still live in the, in the cult.
1: Speaking and of the word marry... Did you have any thoughts of wanting to have a relationship with a woman or with, you know, get married yourself at some point? I mean, you were a young man. Was that all being frowned upon at this point? After my parents left in 78, I believe they really kind of started cracking down on it.
2: Yeah, um, there's a while there. I, I got moved around from house to house. In one house, there was a married couple, but there was the only married couple I knew of in the church. And it was David. And he had a son and he had a wife. I, I can't remember her name. And I remember Jimmy being w- with us there. I remember driving around with, with Jimmy and David's wife and just overhearing Jimmy just digging into their marriage mm. and criticizing it and and actually hearing his wife talk about how her husband was, was not faithful or lukewarm or something. And it, it kind of sickened me.
1: did you get the sense that you yourself were not allowed to have relationships
2: um nobody had relationships except for that couple and and, you know there was no dating or anything now there were there were definitely sisters there that i was attracted to and um
1: but you knew um, you couldn't act on it per stewart's not his even he didn't really even directly tell people but
2: it's something that was never spoken but it was something you just didn't do yeah and i didn't really think too much about it. I had, you know, I had fantasies, but they, they were just that they were just fantasies that, you know, I could mean this sister could get together one day and run away together, <laughs> and I, you know, or start a fellowship somewhere, you know, right. right. And, um, so so was day, it, yeah. was it
1: Jimmy then who finally had the final confrontation with you or what, what was the, what was the leaving? How did that happen?
2: yeah it was jimmy um I, I just couldn't after that i couldn't stay and i walked away yeah it was just one sunday morning i got up and i packed my guitar and um my bag and oh, it was funny because i brought a bunch of um books that i had at home that were like on on um taoism and different religions <laughs> and so they would stare i even brought uh a record album of, of Brian Eno music that was they thought was just um sacrilegious, which it wasn't. So anyway, I, I grabbed most of my stuff. I couldn't carry everything, and and left. What I was leaving though I lived in the basement of this house, and I was sleeping on a concrete floor in the wintertime oh with just God. a thin, with just a thin blanket, and I may have had a pillow. I don't know. But I think I did have a pillow, and that was it. And when I came back from my trip to my grandparents, i brought a bunch of stuff with me because I was going to make some changes. I figured, you know, and of course that that would not be tolerated. So,
1: Right. Yeah. So, uh, so. D- where did you go? How did because this is this is always fascinating to me and mm-hmm. also heartbreaking that. Some people don't leave or can't figure out a way to leave because their families have rejected them or they've been estranged from their friends for so long. But did you still have enough connection to your family that you felt like you could leave?
2: Yeah, Um, I was very fortunate in that uh, my dad has always stood by my side. And that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I went home and um, and he was there and he gave me a big hug and um, Hmm. he let me um, stay with him. Did you so, tell him what
1: had happened? Did you open up to him or did he want to know?
2: No, I, I didn't open up about the cult for years. Um, I struggled with it for years, uh, but I didn't, I didn't really open up. The most I would, I would say is, yeah, I was in a cult, so what? Right. You know?
1: Right. So when you say you struggled, I think this is helpful for other people to hear who might be struggling. What kinds of things were a struggle for you?
2: Well, when I left the cult, I thought that I was turning my back on Jesus. Right. I, I thought I was being a Judas. Because that's what they tell you. Yeah. They, they love to tell you that, you know, if you were sinning, whether it was thinking dirty thoughts or whatever minor little infraction you did, you were driving a nail into Jesus's, um, into Jesus. You know,
1: and this is how so, they kept people in your overview for your book. Uh, you wrote, you know, this is a cult that didn't chain its devotees to their bunks or stalk them after they left. But that uh-huh. seems like the main, the main way they kept people in there was through shame, through spiritual shame.
2: Yeah, spiritual shame. Yeah. And they, even though I had physically left, um, I was still in the cult for, um, I guess, five or six years. I was just round and round about it, vacillating between um, between going back and and staying out, you know.
1: It's very so. common for people to go back. I mean, did you have any other yeah. ex-members to talk to?
2: Oh, no, no. Oh, um, that's hard. Yeah. I left with the uh, impression that all the ex-members were uh, uh, on a highway to hell. <laughs> and, you know, and I wasn't far behind them. I have, no, I had no contact with any ex-members. Yeah. I,
1: I think the fact that my parents left with such a pretty large group at the time of other people mm-hmm. truly helped them all not go back, yeah. you know, and it's just it, yeah. it's heartbreaking when you have to leave on your own and you don't have a network of people to talk to and process that experience with and, and lift each other up you know, and yeah. re- remind each other, you're not evil. It's okay. <laughs> you know, we did the right thing. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sorry yeah. that you didn't have anyone.
2: Yeah. And, and so it's kind of like a car that, fish tails when it goes into a skid, I'd go into either I would be this evil sinner who was just um, into pursuing whatever his body, whatever his human nature wanted and not caring. And then I, I would veer back to being really strict, legalistic on myself. And, you know, as far as being a Christian, I, I wouldn't go a mile over the speed limit. You know? So, you know, I, I was kind of like um, rubber banding between one one extreme and the other.
1: And did you eventually find the middle path, <laughs> speaking of Buddhism? Yeah, I
2: think I did. I, I think I did, yeah, but it, it took a long time.
1: <clears throat> and how um, how did you process this enough to eventually write a book? I mean, because writing a book is really a process.
2: Yeah, it is,
0: Um So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at (laughs) mintmobile.com.
2: It took me years, actually. I had a lot of growing up today. Um, I went back to college. Well, I don't know if I was in college. No, yeah, I went to college for the first time. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a Baptist college. So I figured, OK, a good religious education at this Baptist college and um, come to find out it was like one of the most liberal Baptist colleges in the South. Our Old Testament teacher was an was a out and out atheist. Um, I'm proud of it.
1: <laughs> Maybe and that was, was a good college. thing.
2: Oh, yeah, it was a good thing because I, you know, I explored atheism and it actually was, it was very liberating for me because at the time I couldn't separate the cult from Christianity. Right. To me, they were synonymous. If I was going to be a Christian, I may as well just be in the cult. Is right. the way I was thinking. Uh, but if there's no God, I mean, you know, it's like the John Lennon song. If it's only sky above us, you're free, you know, you're free to um, pursue your own path, you know. Right. So I did, I did that for a, uh, for a while and um, it led me um, to be very open-minded about other religions and to get a new perspective on Christianity. That's great. That's great. Have before, um, so yeah. My my perspective now is much different from and, the um, fundamentalist um, Stewart. Well, from the color code perspective of Stuart. right?
1: It, and yeah. it's really Stuart wasn't really you know teaching Christianity or any religion. He was teaching his own brand of whatever he could have. He could have yeah. done that. He could have. He could have stewardified any religion he touched. You know, it just mm-hmm. happened to be Christianity that he turned into his own. Cultish mission of fear and
2: shame. Yeah, yeah. He's very intelligent. He's very good at manipulating whatever. And Christianity was a a useful tool for him to use.
1: When you decided to create this, to create this graphic novel, was it because you had created other graphic novels? I mean, what's your body of work before this, or was this
2: the first? Uh, Yeah, first thing. Well, this was the first one that I've published. Okay. Um, But I had written a a whole body of um, graphic novels. I wrote one that was dedicated to my dad. I wrote one about the farm I grew up on, my grandparents. I wrote one. About a young kid, uh, a young boy, Johnny Boy. It's a, a fantasy story about a precocious young kid who um, mm-hmm. travels to the sun and has all these adventures. You know, so I yeah, should yeah, look I've that always, one uh, up for
1: my daughter. She's she's asking. <laughs> just by the way, we're we're doing this interview just before Christmas, and she's asking uh, for graphic novels and stuffed animals this year. She loves graphic novels.
2: Uh, okay, well, I'm, I haven't published the uh, Johnny Boy series. So.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I don't so think I, she's ready for the cult yet. I can let no, her look at the pictures, maybe. But if no, you publish the Johnny Boy one, let me know.
2: I'm very fond of the Johnny Boy stuff, so it, it may come out uh, one day soon.
1: So what made you decide to do the cult, though? I mean, was it just something burning in you that you thought, I got to tell this story?
2: Uh, no, no, just <laughs> somebody. I was trying to um, pitch a book, I'd re- just finished a novel last year. And I'd spent like three years on this novel and critiquing it and workshopping it and making it perfect. And uh, And I took it to somebody and he looked at it and um, he didn't really say anything about it. But um, in our conversation, we were talking and I'd mentioned that I was in a cult once and we started talking about that. And he, he told me, he said, that's the book you need to write. Yeah. And that's what inspired me. I mean, he kind of pushed me to write that one. And and I didn't really have any feelings, strong feelings one way or the other before I started it. But as I got into it, I found all of these um, feelings um, coming up, surfacing. As I researched and learned more and more about Stuart, it just, you know, woke up. uh, It was very healing for me to do this. That's really
1: wonderful. I feel like doing this podcast has been healing for me and I wasn't even in it as an adult, you know, but just... You I think as a child. I was as a child. And even though my memories are so vague, I grew up with the after effects. And so I feel like just yeah. hearing from other people has been really healing for me. And I think my parents, too, you know, we'll mm-hmm. we'll see as it goes on. But I think just, ta- yeah, just talking about it. It was an experience and it's a mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it feels unique and it is unique. But then again, it's not when you talk to other people because everyone had these same feelings. Like you're saying you leave and you feel like a Judas. You feel like. You can't separate Christianity or any belief system from what Stuart said. It's you can't reconcile the fact that Stuart is this completely different person than you thought at the beginning. It's, you know, it's a lot of similar feelings that I'm hearing come up, which is heartening and devastating at the same time.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the hard part, too, is is I have a hard time reconciling how I could have fallen into that. That's another part of it, right? Especially knowing my first impression when I first met Larry was this is a cult. This
1: is a cult, right? It's like your gut knew, but you... But I think you explain yeah. it. You, you do. You kind of form a relationship with these people who are very nice. You're at a vulnerable time in your life. You know, there's just a series of unfortunate events can come together. Yeah. So in your in your graphic novel, do you go through your personal story? Do you include anyone else's stories? Do you include bigger themes? Tell people a little bit about it if they want to buy the book. What can they expect?
2: Uh, it's my personal experience. In the cult and everything from my sexual experience um, to my my family trying to keep me out of the cult to the control that Stuart gradually gained over me um, through the other members. All of those, I, I think I've I've tried to. Picture in detail through various um, incidents throughout the novel.
1: And do you chronicle any of the um, Haiti stuff? Because you do mention that in your overview, or any parts of Stewart's life later on?
2: Yeah, the Haiti. Um, I never went to Haiti, but it was used to um, enlist other people and to. And to um, it was used as a guilt thing. Um, so that we were working to help the children in Haiti. And so we needed to work hard. We needed to make more money. Uh, we need to be thankful to be giving the money to help the children in Haiti. Right. Uh, another so manipulation Haiti. tool. Yeah, another manipulation tool, tool from Stewart, And that's how Haiti worked into the whole scene for me.
1: Did you research any of Stuart's sexual pro- proclivities with any of the other women? I mean, does that come into play at all? Or did that is that ever something yeah. you've discussed with other people? Cause that really seems to be uh something not a lot of people talk about, but that I read over and over again.
2: Yeah, when I uh I first saw Gail at a big meeting and my first impression was, wow. <laughs> This guy's got a, a girl that's half his age wearing these, um, uh, what do they call that, those outfits? This skin tight, almost like spandex, but it's not spandex. Oh, okay. Um, right. And she's in high heels. I mean, totally not with none of the sisters look like Gail, you know? None of them flaunted their bodies like Gail did, you know? Right. And I would see uh, Stewart would hug Gail. You know, and stuff, but it seemed like a you know stiff, like it wasn't shared. But that was just my initial perception. But yeah, I was like, wow, you know, this guy um must be really faithful or something. You know, he's I mean, he just he's so bold about it.
1: Now, would you did you it, hear any yeah, rumors I, about him back in those days, or was that really later on?
2: I never heard anything, any rumors about him mm-hmm. um, at all. It was later on after researching. Yeah, that I, I learned um, that he had that secret staircase where he could get down into the girls' dormitories and um, he would walk into their rooms. And, I you know, I learned some of this through your podcast. Right. None of this I knew at the time. No. I just thought that he just had a really hot wife. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> and his second wife. He had the first one, Shirley, he already got rid of.
2: Uh, the, the story I got about Shirley was that Shirley was stepping out on him. Oh, no. Yeah. And that He was doing everything in his power to try to save their marriage and to save his children. And so, you know, I I got the the steward spin on all of that.
1: Yeah, of course. But isn't it interesting when you when you do a little research later, all of the things that come to light that are almost the opposite of exactly
2: what you heard? Yeah, I, I just want to go back and slap myself for not even questioning any of it.
1: It's, you know, it's when you're young and it's, I think it's sometimes hard to see something that's so absurd too, because, you know, it's almost, have Mm. you ever heard the, the line where the bigger, the lie, the harder it is to notice or something like that, because when mm-hmm. everything around you is upside down, it just seems like that's the way the way it is. You know, it's not just one little thing you're picking apart. It would be your whole world that is you know you have to walk away from and which you did eventually. but that's hard. That's hard to reconcile,
2: yeah, and we were at the time the church was pretty big. there was we were about yeah. like a th- thousand, two thousand people that were all upside down and not right. noticing it.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you think, well, am I the crazy one? You know, and then Stuart makes you feel that way if you want to leave or if you don't believe Mm -hmm. in exactly what he's spewing. Yeah. They try to make you feel like the crazy one. So that's very difficult.
2: Yeah. It's kind of if I I were to go out and tell people the world is flat, you know. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So what would you say in closing? What would you say to anyone who is struggling in a similar situation and it could be a religious group. It could just, there are so many cult like organizations that are that, you know, you might not even classify as a cult, but where people are starting to feel uh, oppressed or taken advantage of, or like they want to get out, you know, what are, Hmm. what are some words of wisdom or advice based on what happened to you?
2: Well, I'll use that question as an opportunity to plug my next book. Oh, great. (laughs) After the cult.
1: Oh, nice. Is it going to be a graphic novel as well?
2: Yeah, it's going to be in the same style as the first one. Okay. And uh, it chronicles the real struggle I had um, mentally leaving the cult and the people that helped me, uh, that counseled me. And I went to, a. I had my Old Testament teacher help me. He was the atheist. A uh, roommate who was a pastor helped me. i Joined. I was in a monastery for a while, and the um, the brothers and sisters. Well, One no, of the brothers in the monastery were a huge help for me, just letting me be myself and get to know myself and have my own relationship with God. So it it was a long, arduous path, but it was very well worth it. It was very well worth the struggle. Yeah. And I'm happy where I'm at now in my life, and. I I have all of those people to thank.
1: Well, that's wonderful. I'm so happy to hear that. And I look forward to your next book.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about it.
1: We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with cult talk.